0: pastor Paul is that, is that his passion to not remain in the status quo. If you have been here long enough, I am sure you yourself go, why does he always make me feel a little bit uncomfortable? Why does he? And here's why, because he wants to see you living at your optimum and the fullness of everything that God has for you. We have a human condition called we like to settle for mediocrity because we don't like to be stretched to the point where the miraculous can happen. See, the miracle only happens in the stretching. The miracles happen in the unknown zones, in the uncomfortable zones. And so I want to present something to you today. And I and I did believe truly that, that Paul likes me deeply. Paul likes me deeply. But to... Have my first encounter with you and teach about money. Maybe question that. (laughs) Jesus talked a lot about money. We have to stop being afraid of talking about the practicalities of finance because God wants to bless your finance. But if, if you hide your finance plan from God, how can he touch it? There's two mandates that I believe I have for 2019, and I believe it'll be for longer, but I think 2019 is the pioneering year and catalyst of it. I'm going to war with the spirit of poverty and the spirit of orphans, and the two are connected. We were not designed to live with a poverty mentality. This is not about how much money is in the bank. This is about the mentality and the posture of generosity. And that the image of God in us should make us generous. There's only one group of people I'm happy to offend. And that is stingy, greedy people. And here's why. They're not going to take me out for coffee later anyway. That's okay. And if they do, they'll probably want something. So let's have a revolution with how we think about finance. We need to be okay to talk about it because the future blessings and the seed that is going to bring harvest for generations to come is actually dependent on how you think about money now so that a generation that might not ever meet you until the other side of eternity can say, remember you had that revelation on generosity That saved my whole family. I want people running up to me in eternity. Say, remember you had that revelation and you gave to that church or you gave to that charity or you gave to that nation and you gave to that missionary. Well, my whole family and village and community got transformed by the power of God, not just in salvation, but kingdom. That's what we're stirring this morning. And I want the permission of your heart. I'm not asking for a show of hands. I need the permission of your heart that you would allow God's spirit to speak to you this morning, and I promise you this: nothing that is said this morning is going to make you feel like you're going on a guilt trip because the lot, guilt is built out of insecurity. If you ever feel guilted, if a, I've and' I've, I've been, I'm a third generation Christian kid all right and I know to stand sit down and to sleep, but while look like I 'm praying so I've been around and I've heard those that can speak vision and generosity with freedom attached to it. And I can also hear people that speak from a place of guilt and it's a place of insecurity because they themselves don't believe that God could provide. Would we move this morning into an ecosystem, a pattern of God's generosity and see it not only benefit our lives but the lives that will come after us. Is that okay? That's what this is for. This particular session is one of three. Now, it's the second part in the three, and it will, and I'm giving you the forewarning now, it is a solid 50 minutes. But you will leave and you will feel great. I promise you that. At that men's conference. Now, I've been to a few, I've been... Up to a few men's conferences, women's conferences, conferences where everyone's together, leadership conferences. I speak at universities in philanthropy and not-for-profit studies. Hey, did you realise this, that there is a scientific data research that it says that altruistic people, or the other word for that is generous people, are more attractive? Thank you. Actually, the study says that people that are more generous are more sexually attractive. So all those single young adults in the house are like, yes, let's go out for coffee later. Throw that money up. Because you might be physically good looking, but if you have a stingy heart, the countenance you carry is the opposite to God's spirit. And you might be average, but generous, and you'll be the hottest person in the community. Generous people carry the image of God, and they carry it so well that it supersedes any physical limitations, and it attracts people and wholeness and transformation everywhere that they go. So, you ready to go this morning? You like me enough already to talk about your money? (laughs) Welcome to One Church Perth, and it's great to have you with us. Thank you. Faith and finance. We're going to talk about faith and finance. Uh, I've got a, a special on, this has been filmed already at a church at the Gold Coast out a production company. This is my number one seminar that gets booked every year. I would have done this over 25 times. And down at the Gold Coast, there was a large church there and that was where the, common, the, the church property is so state of the art that the Commonwealth Games rehearsed there. And so they booked out the property to rehearse there. And so the production team said, we love what you do and you've changed our lives with generosity. Can we film it for you as a gift? So they filmed it. And I mean, if you're a media person, this guy's got, he's on one of those Segway things and like one of those hoverboard things. He's got a rig attached to his like shoulders and he's just hovering around it like that had the boom cameras and everything. So it's in HD, but what we've done is we've done a digital pre-order and uh, it'll normally be $150, but... Today, if you pre-order it up the back, I've got an FPOS machine. All you have to do is sign up, and it'll only be $50. And I promise you this, it'll be worth far more than that for your whole family. And you'll get it via email. You'll get everything. You'll get an Excel calculator using God's pattern. And, of course, you'll get my notes as well because there's a lot of Scripture. It's just to prove to everybody that Andrew didn't make it up. Okay, so let's go. The principles of sowing seed. So, what this is not about, here's the disclaimers. Number one, this is not about heaven and hell and buying your way into heaven. It's not about that. Number two, this is not about earning your blessing. Number three, this is not a guilt trip to tithe. It's not a guilt trip to tithe. And please don't argue with me about tithing. Every time I do this seminar and teaching, there's always somebody with a book, it's like they carry it around. Or tithings now maybe not in, I don't believe in this church but there's always somebody in some other church it's tithings Old Testament I don't do nothing I'm New Testament giver I go really you're a New Testament giver yeah I'm under grace I go oh really so you're gonna sell your house you're a New Test oh my Lord God bless you you're a New Testament giver always. I never argue because everyone's got their scriptures, right? Everybody's got their scriptures about giving. They don't know the scriptures about anything else, but they know it about their money. And so I stopped trying to talk scripture and I started going to the value system of what they live in. And I said, so if you're arguing with me about giving to the local community that would pray for you if you were in hospital and the youth group that is reaching high schoolers, and the people that believe for you and your family and their salvation, so you're, you're arguing with me about giving, amen, that's fine, you can argue. But, and giving a tithe, are you trying to argue your way into giving less or giving more? And then I just stop talking. Because the point isn't about just the tithe, it's about the heart posture. And aren't you glad God doesn't actually give you a figure, he gives you a percentage? I want to see a generation of young men and women see prosperity in their families and their children's children because they understand the pattern of God in finance, not the formula. There's no formula is a dictatorship, not a relationship. Formulas don't build relationship, but patterns of life do. And so this is not a guilt trip to tithe, but also don't argue with me about it later because I'll just ask, do you want to give more or less? Number four, this is not about sin. It's about not being self sufficient. And number five, this is not a new rule of how you must do money. I'm not coming as a financial planner. I'm not coming as the person that can look through your accounts and know where to spend and how you're going to spend it and where you should invest. This is just a pattern. This is a guideline and a framework of how the Jewish nation handled their finance in consultancy with the National Office of Jews for Jesus, Bank Managers, and Financial Planners. So I'm not a financial planner. I just put the idea out to financial planners and said, if you were to look at this pattern, would you think it's a good way for people to live? And they went, it's a good way for people to live. And here's why. Because it stops you constantly living in debt. So here's a foundational thought. And if this is all you leave with, then amen. God doesn't want your money. He wants to give you his. He doesn't want your money. He wants to pour out his on you. So let's start. Malachi 3.8, one of the most famous verses about giving is, Will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me? But you say, In what way have we robbed you in tithes? And offerings. How do you rob God? Like, let's be real here. How do you actually rob God? This is not just about money. This isn't even just about tithes and offerings. And notice that it's plural there: tithes and offerings, plural. This is how do you rob God? Actually, no. What's happening is in the tithes and the offerings. There is the potential of God to give you his finance, and you're not robbing God of his money. You're robbing God of the opportunity to give you something that he can only give to a generous heart. I don't want to rob God the opportunity of sowing something into my life because I'm going to sow that seed into the generous ecosystem of the kingdom. So I'm not robbing God's money. I'm robbing the opportunity to live in the fullness of the ecosystem he's designed for us. Okay, observation. Tides and offerings are not the same. They're just not the same. We, sometimes we've been taught, and I'm, I'm sure in different, if you're from different streams and different denominations, and you happen to just be here today, but if you've grown up in different streams and thoughts and, and doctrines and theologies, what you'll find is some, that everyone has almost a different teaching. That's why we stand back and we just look at the scriptures this morning to the pattern. But tides and offerings are not the same. The fundamental four that were set up right in the beginning were these: firstfruits and tithes. The first one is a first-fruits offering. And if you look into the definition, you'll find that it's called turuma. So it's a first-fruits offering. Isn't it nice to think that the thing that we do first is actually an offering, not giving just something back to God that's originally his? An offering is a heart thing. An offering is generosity. Tithing is integrity. Offerings are generosity. Tithing is integrity. I remember a little while ago, it was in October now, I had come to Perth and I was speaking for the Seven Day Venice, and I had to be part of a leadership forum. And, and I got a rental car from the airport. I drove it around for two days. I dropped it back. And as I was giving the keys back to the rental car property, I felt the Holy Spirit say, this is what tithing is like. And I'm like, what? I'm giving keys back to the original owners. I got the benefits of it, but I'm giving the keys back because it's actually not my vehicle. And when I gave it back, I thought to myself, it's integrity giving these keys back. It's not generosity. Can you imagine me walking into the car rental company going, hey, 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 I am so generous right now because I'm giving you your keys back. You should thank me. I'm going to tell my friends about it. Hashtag tithing generosity. I mean, they, didn't, they didn't throw me a ticker tape parade. They went all over me like, you're so generous. Thank you so much. They were like, thank you. It's It's ours. See, tithing is only giving back to God that which is His. So that's integrity. Don't walk around bragging about that you tithe. I'm so generous, I tithe. No, that's integrity. Offerings are generosity. I hope you catch that. There's a difference. So the first one is called to rumor. The second one was the tithes of the Lord or the storehouse or the church. Number three was a tithe to yourself. Guess what? God wants you to save. It's pretty good. Number four, there was a tithe to the poor. Now, before we go any further, just think about God's pattern. Number one, the taruma was a first-fruits offering to your priest or your spiritual father, your spiritual authority. It's a gift of honor. It was only 2.5%. And actually, in 320, the church gave this way up until 325 AD when Constantine institutionalized the church. Now, it's all good. There were some good things in, the, in, in, in Constantine's model, but there were some, also some other things because they didn't have to do their model this way because it was institutionalized. So, up until that point, this is how they were giving. The rabbi Hillel. So everyone in this room knows that Jesus was a rabbi, right? He was a rabbi, trained rabbi. At 30, that's why he got baptized publicly because he was a rabbi. The, the disciples called him rabbi. He wasn't pastor; he was rabbi. And he studied. That's why in there's three stages of of. Torah school as such, or uh, the training to be a rabbi, and every little boy had to go through it. That's why when he's 12, he's found at the temple asking questions. And they're like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm about my father's business. Because in between the ages of be it 5 and 10 or 11, all little boys had to learn the, the first five books of the Torah, or we call it the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, by heart, verbatim. Can you imagine your seven-year-old just walking around quoting Leviticus? By heart. And then by 12 to, you know, beyond that, they had to learn the whole Old Testament or what was there. And then after that, they were try and, and, and you could tell because they learned how to ask questions properly. That's why he was sitting with the rabbis that were training him. And then by thirty, if you'd lasted that long, which is a pretty grueling process, you would be seen as a spiritual authority to get your own followers, and then lead a group of people in a community. Therefore, you could speak at synagogue, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, can you imagine? Like we have like dumbed down how smart our kids really are. Like I was at this uh, homeschooling conference. Actually, it wasn't just a homeschooling conference. They had homeschooling kids there, but it was a distance education conference. It was a Christian education conference, and they had a whole mix. They had schools, colleges, and homeschool students. And you know what was so funny? I was the guest speaker, and on on the last night, I had to hand out awards and big trophies and medals and everything, and I just shook hands and smiled at everybody. And all these trophies had, like, these books of the Bible on the little plaque, and I thought, Oh, that's interesting. What's that about? So I asked the director and the principal. I said, what, is, like, what are these trophies I'm handing out? And they said, oh, that's, the, that's the, the biblical awards, the Bible awards. And I'm like, oh, cool. So how come the books of the Bible are on it? Now, these are students. These are kids from five all the way to 17. I said, so tell me, what's the books of the Bible? They're like, oh, they're the books that they could memorize and quote out loud. And they were allowed to make five mistakes when quoting it. I suddenly went, oh, my Lord, these kids know the Bible better than me. And I'm the guest speaker. So in Jesus' rabbinical stream, there was a rabbi called Hillel. Now, Hillel said this about Teruma, that there was 140th, 150th, and 160th. And Teruma was 2.5%. So before everyone freaks out, and it's like, oh my gosh, that's 25% of everything. No, 2.5% is $25 on a thousand. $25 on a thousand. So your first fruit is taking the $25 out of a thousand and giving to your spiritual authority or spiritual leader. Then you take that and you give the tithe to the church, you save 10%. And then on a third cycle, or once a month, you take that 10% instead of saving it, you give it to the poor. So Before we go any further, just think about a good way to live. I honor people that are spiritually interceding for me and leading me, right? Honor. Number two, I give to my spiritual faith community that is making a difference in my community and the kingdom. Number three, I save some money. And number four, once a month I intentionally give to the poor. If you walk out just with that, think of what a good life that is. It's a great pattern. Do you know that if you're an 18, 19, 20-year-old in this room and you start saving 10% of everything you get in a high-interest account, you'll be a multi-millionaire by 40. Think how generous you can be then. You can take me out for coffee. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Notice what he doesn't say. Where your heart is, your treasure will be. He says, your heart follows your money, not the other way around. So if I want to know where your heart is, I'll just look at your receipts. I often find myself at outlet clothes stores. Sometimes my heart lives there for a little while. But where your treasure is, meaning... Your money leads your heart. Oh, I'm passionate about missions. When's the last time you gave? Where's your receipt? Oh, I'm passionate about the kingdom. Then how much are you giving? I love my family. I just love... Well, ha, when was the last time you lavished them with something? Oh, I love my friends. Really? Then how can we split the bill to the cent? They're not the kind of friends you need people You ever split a bill and someone's meal was like, you know, all together, it came to like $27.85. And they're like, where's my change at? You're like, you're embarrassing. I believe that Christians, kingdom Christians, should be the most generous people on the planet. The most generous people on the planet. Be so practical, you're spiritual. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And mammon was a symbol of people that loved money and put money above everything else instead of being generous. You can't love God and be greedy. But isn't it interesting that it starts with a, it it talks about treasure. Now notice this, it doesn't say this, for where your time is, your heart will be also. Where your talent is, your heart will be also. No, it says where your treasure is. And I believe in sowing time and talent, but Jesus says treasure. Hey, did you know that if you serve and you're generous with your time, you actually, again, science says, data says, people who volunteer live longer. Do you want to know why? Because seed reproduces according to its kind. So if you seed time, you live forever. <laughs> when you sow your talent into the kingdom, what happens? It multiplies your talent, your gifting. Then why don't we talk more about multiplying your treasure? Yes, serve. Yes. Be exposed with your talent, but also seed reproduces according to its kind. I want you to live long. I want you to live talented, but I also want you to live prosperous. Because how bad would it be a long life with no money? But Hillel said this, that the eye full of light was a person that was generous with 1 40th, which was 2.5%. That an eye full of light honored rumor to 2.5%. Someone who gave 150th had a middling eye. And someone who gave 160th was an infidel. Their eye was full of darkness. That's pretty strong language considering they're like 0.5s of percents. Yet to them, it was the first thing they did was a first fruits offering, which was they'd take the best 2.5% of their harvest or whatever increase they had and they'd wave it up in the air as though they were giving it to God and they'd place it in the hands of their spiritual authority. Because you're giving it to God now and God's giving it to that person so that you can honor them. So the four ways of life was honor people that are spiritually leading you or spiritually fathering you. Number two, Give to the local faith community. Number three, save money. Put it away. And number four, once a month, intentionally give to the poor. Can we just agree that's a good way of doing life? So here's the challenge. Why does God hate greed and love generosity? He hates greed. There was the man. He said, what will you do with your increase? I'm just going to build bigger barns for myself. And Jesus is like, oh, today God will require you a life. Yet the woman caught in the act of adultery is like, oh, look, uh, just don't do it anymore. And then go, just go, live a good life, just stop that. But no, God will require your life, look at how you sin. It's like, but wasn't that God just building bigger barns? Yeah, because greed has an attachment to it that isn't heaven on earth. It's something else, and I'll show you why. In Isaiah 14, 12 to 14, the prophet speaks about Lucifer. And this is what he says. How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you were cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will, I will also sit on the mount of the congregation, on the farther sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Now, we've got to quickly stop here just for a minute and realize that God wasn't surprised by Lucifer's I wills. Sometimes we've been taught that, and I, like I said, I grew up in church, so I was taught with felt boards, not iPads, felt boards. I was taught Lucifer rebelled against God. God knew nothing about it because he's not really that powerful or all-knowing or everywhere at the same time. He rebelled against God in secret. He gathered one third of the angels. They went up against God. God went, I'm so angry because I didn't know what was going on. Go to hell. And he creates hell because he didn't know and he has an anger issue. But if God is all powerful and God is all knowing... And he's everywhere at the same time. And this is really trippy. That if he's everywhere at the same time, it means God isn't in time, he exists outside of time. And therefore, he's still in 1755 as well as 30, 3033 all at the same time. How crazy. Like, I'm not meant to figure that one out. I'm just telling you so you can join me in my wonder. All at the same time. And so... Lucifer goes to God and he says, I will. He said in his heart, I will, I will, I will. There's five I wills in Jeremiah 31. When Jeremiah is, Jeremiah is prophesying the new covenant that we live in, God says through the prophet Jeremiah, my new covenant will be defined by five I wills. I will be their God and they will be my people. See, the five I wills in the new covenant actually disempower these five I wills from Lucifer. But what does this actually mean? If you break down the words, and there's a great app called Blue Letter Bible, it's free. You can go Google it. He says this, I will also sit, what the word means is bind myself, make covenant with, on the mount of the congregation, on the farthest extreme parts or recesses, sides of the north, hidden darkness, a place of hoarding treasure and glory. So what did Lucifer actually request from God? It was this, to bind himself to the extreme recesses of darkness to hoard treasure and glory for himself. So why does God hate greed? Because it's a Luciferian spirit. Who feels better now Like you? It's a Luciferian spirit. When you want to hoard treasure and glory to yourself, Jonathan Edwards, the eighteenth century theologian said, because you, you can read more into be it Lucifer's design, which was he was the covering cherub. There was only one of him. And he'd walk the stones. He was the only cherub allowed to walk the throne room of God. And that in him, it says there was instruments and, you know, all that stuff. And it doesn't make him the music director, but it did mean that he was the conduit, that the glory of God would go through him to the rest of creation, right? And this moment, by in Jonathan Edwards' words, was... He refused to minister to such feeble and disgusting creatures as humanity because he saw us as only glorified mud pies. But the very thing we got through generosity, he wanted through a slave's heart. So the glory of God would go through him, and he went, I don't think they deserve that. Notice that the glory of God went through him, but he never got to wear it. Here's the difference between an employee and a son and a daughter. We get to wear Father's image without earning it. But we perpetuate his image by being generous. Because the Luciferian spirit said, I don't. I want to hoard the glory because I don't want to give it away. He didn't realize he was just a conduit. And why he hates us and why he goes to war with your family and why he wants to live, keep you in poverty is because he doesn't want You to carry the very thing he covets, which is the glory of heaven. Because he wanted to earn it, and God just gave it to us because we're made in his image. Who feels encouraged this morning? Okay. So why does a slave mentality manifest as hoarding? And if there's hoarders in the room, I can see your friends already thinking about you. Ever watch those hoarding shows? They're horrible. And, and, and I love when we move house, I'd walk through my house with a big black garbage bag and I would just throw stuff in there. I felt free. It's therapeutic. Throwing things away that you will not need in your new season is therapeutic. You should enjoy it. And if you want to sell it on eBay and make some gravy. Exodus 16, 18 to 20. These people had come out of slavery. They had no dignity. Egypt had taken everything from them. And yet now they are free in the wilderness. God heard the cries of their hearts in Egypt and he set them free. And now they're in the wilderness and they said, we're hungry. And God says, I'm even going to provide food for you from heaven called manna. And this is what it says. He who gathered much had nothing left over. God's okay with you having much. And he who gathered little had no lack. Meaning, if I only needed a little bit to live my life and I feel self and I feel secure and I feel like I'm living in the fullness of blessing, as long as I can be in the conduit, I'm not aiming for something or coveting anybody else's. So if God's got much for your life, you can gather it. If you're happy in living in a way that says, I can just constantly be generous and I I only need this much for my life as long as I'm living in the ecosystem... It's not about, I want more or I want less. It's, a, it's God going, I can meet you where you're at, and I'll provide for you. He who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Every man had, got, had gathered according to each one's need, and Moses said, let no one leave any of it till morning. Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses. You want to know why? Because they were hoarders. They like the idea that if God's going to do it today, I'm going to keep as much of it as possible because what if God stops liking me tomorrow? What if God stops liking me tomorrow? Isn't that the human condition and fear? Is I'm blessed today. You know why I'm blessed today? Because I read my Bible for an hour and I sang that worship song because that's got a special anointing on it. And we think, oh, God likes us today. And then tomorrow, you might pray for 15 minutes. You might listen to the radio, God forbid. And then something bad happens and this is the human condition because we're built to look to the formula. We go, yesterday I was blessed because it must have been this. And oh my gosh, God doesn't like me today because I only pray for 15 minutes. Maybe I'll make up the 45 minutes before I go to bed. And then Moses but some of them left part of it until morning and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. When you hoard and when you are greedy, eventually what you gather will breed worms and stink. That's why generous people are more attractive. But why hoard? If God, I mean, you're, I mean, we've got to remember, not only have they seen the Red Sea part, not only have seen, they seen water coming out of a rock. Not only do they have a, a, a pillar of fire by night that keeps them warm in the desert and a cloud that covers them from the sun during the day. I mean, God is providing for them constantly. Yet when they had to gather something to their own tent or to their own family, they would hoard just in case God didn't like them tomorrow. Because of this. ever a, a, Anyone ever been to a buffet? Yeah, we love buffets. There is a There is always a healthy conversation after a buffet. When people leave a buffet, there is always somebody in the family or in the friendship group that says, I got my money's worth. Right? There's always somebody. We have some buffets in Brisbane, and they shrunk the plates so that people think they're eating more. It's like, I had seven plates. Yeah, but they're this big. I've been to a few buffets, and I always am intrigued by watching people, how they serve buffets. And usually, there's somebody that forgets that they can go back for more. And when they're on their plate, they get their plate and they're mixing seafood and Italian. They got the prawns going on. They got the curry going on. They got the nuns, And then they got roast beef. And, you know, and they're, 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 they're on their way to the dessert bar. Because God forbid the dessert bar closes down in the next 45 minutes. And they go and pile everything onto their plate. And you watch them back. You know what? You, you, you watch them walking back to their table. And they're like this. I've got to balance everything. It's in those times I feel like just putting my arm around him and saying, buddy, you do realize, like, you can go back. You can go back and get some more stuff. Like, get some more food. You don't have to, like, you don't have to mix everything. You mix some, but you don't have to mix everything. You know, when we think like that, we're so focused on getting everything we need back to the table that we forget we could be getting a plate for somebody else because the restaurant's not going anywhere and can i encourage you with this one picture or one metaphor is we can take as many plates as we want because our dad owns the restaurant You can take what you need, go and eat it, enjoy it, and not be worried about tomorrow because the restaurant's still there. Actually, you can go get plates for other people that don't have this revelation yet and bless them because your dad owns the restaurant. Here's some observations. God was freeing the people not just from Egypt but from slavery and a poverty mindset using generosity Slaves are greedy because they fear the future. Sons and daughters are generous because they know who holds the future. That's the difference. If we hoard and we fight for, I need mine and I'm going to keep mine. I don't know if God will like me tomorrow, so I'm going to keep it. That's still Egypt living in our head, in our hearts. So what does he do? So how does God set a nation of slaves free? In Leviticus, this is what we find. He, they, they get land And they're given what you'd call a square of land, a property. And it says this, when you reap the harvest of your land. So notice, not only have they sowed seed, but now it's harvest time. It's time, blessing is coming. They're living in it. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field. Nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, and you shall not glean your vineyard. Nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord Your God, in essence, he's saying, I'm going to give you land, but don't use all of it. Live with margin. Live with margin. The average American lives on 104% of their income. 100% and 4% MasterCard. There's no margin. You want to be a slave to your paycheck? Live with no margin. You want to be a slave to your job? Live with no margin. If there is a divine calling and purpose on your life, you need margin to see it through. But if And this is a a huge part of this morning's presentation and and, and conversation is I want you to live free of anxiety that you can't fulfill everything that God's called you for because you have no margin to build and invest and sow and give and see something because you're not just living on your field. You're living on your neighbors as well and MasterCards so that when a bill comes and you don't know what's going to happen, you want to live with less anxiety and more freedom. Don't live on your whole field. Live on the circle. See, God's, God breaks the slave mentality through the action of generosity, not just the concept of it. Like I said, you can't just, let me put it this way. I'm not putting up a prayer line later to say, oh God, I want to be more generous. No, you want to be more generous? Go and buy someone coffee on the way home. There's no prayer to be more generous. You just become, write a check. Don't split the bill. It's not just orthodoxy where I believe the right thing. It's orthopraxies means I practice generosity. I don't just believe in generosity. But if you give away the corners and live off the circle, your money will never be your master. This is what God was showing these people. Is that, And if you do the math, I did the math previous, so you don't have to, is if you take the corners away of a square and you live on the circle, it means you're living off 78 to 79% of your income. You're living on, or living a life that has margin to it. Now, Arnold Fruchtenbaum, who is a leading expert on Jewish and Messianic theology, says if you add up all the tithes and giving required, they total approximately 22% of your income. That's everything. That's the four. Remember, first fruits, tithe to the church, tithe to your savings. And then a tithe once a month to the poor. Now, let's do $1,000 really quickly because I don't have time to do the FAQs at the end of this session. But let's do the, the math on $1,000 super quick. If you think about it, 2.5% is $25, right? Out of 1000 that leaves you with $975. So you've already given your first like away. So there's 2.5% gone. 25% or twenty-five dollars of a thousand gone. nine hundred seventy-five dollars. If you take nine hundred seventy-five dollars and you take ten percent, let's round it up so it's not ninety-seven dollars fifty. Let's go to like ninety-eight dollars. Then that's your tithe to the church. And then you've got eight hundred and something. And then you take that and you save it. Do you know what percentage you're left with? Do you know at the end of it all, when you give away your tithes—the twenty-two percent—you're left with about seven hundred and eighty-nine, seven hundred and ninety dollars. That's living on the circle and not the square. Because that's 78 and 79%, just for people that don't know math that well. So, in numbers, now this is where we're going to go through scripture after scripture after scripture. So, you know, number one, I didn't make it up, nor am I taking up an offering for myself. So, you just know. I'm going to show you scripture so you understand the reason and the meaning behind the first fruits offering, which I also call the heave offering or wave offering. It's so Moses gave the tribute which was the Lord's heave offering to Eleazar the priest as the Lord commanded Moses. Numbers, this also is yours, the heave offering of their gift with all the wave offerings of the children of Israel. All the heave offerings of the holy things which the children of Israel offered to the Lord I've given to you and your sons and daughters and you as an ordinance forever. It is a covenant of salt. Now, a covenant of salt was a marriage metaphor. So when a husband and a wife would be at their wedding, the wife's family and the husband's family or the bride and the groom's family would bring salt in bags and then the priest would show them this big bag and they'd have to take from their family salt and this family salt and then the the priest would shake it and now say, let no man tear asunder in it. Here's why. Because now you can't separate the salts. Right, how 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 crazy would you have to be to be like, oh hold on, that was my family's salt, and this was your family. I don't want to do this anymore. God was saying when you get when you're in covenant and it was symbolized by salt, means you bring your salt to the to the bag, you the other person brings their salt to the bag, and it's shaken to the point that you don't know whose is whose anymore. Okay. If an offering and your first fruits offering is a covenant of salt with the Lord, how crazy is this? And how fun is this? Is God brings his bag of salt and we bring like what, our three grains? A little bag. And God's like, I don't care. I'm gonna put all my salt in the bag. You take what you've got and take your only and put it in the bag. And you know what? When we shake it, Jesus, the final priest, he, the high priest, he shakes it and says, Well, now I don't know which is which. I want God's bag of salt in my life. He doesn't go, Oh, well, look, you only contributed three grains. I brought the whole bag. What are you doing? He says, no, no, no. If you are faithful with the 2.5, if you give that an eye full of light, bring it to the bag. I don't care how small it is. Bring it to the bag because I want to give you my bag of salt. And shake it up. And then no one would be able to determine when I'm generous, is it God or is it them? And you know what? At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Because when you're generous, you show the image of God everywhere you go. And then it says this. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord with you and your descendants with you. Wait a minute. This is, again, this takes it out of time. When you give, you are giving your great, great grandchildren God's salt in their life. Because he's already in 2075, 2090, 3010. he's already there. And your great-grandchildren are gonna be grateful that you gave them God's bag of salt. And you go, Really, how's that work? Let me let me show you. There was a short guy called Zacchaeus. He climbed up a tree, couldn't see Jesus. Jesus calls him down, and everyone's like, Wow, why are you calling Zacchaeus down from the tree? Don't you know who he is? And this is what Jesus says: Don't you know that he is a son of Abraham? You know, that's like great, 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 grandfather. And yet Jesus identifies that spiritual salvation and natural salvation can shall come to his. Now, he doesn't say, Zacchaeus, I'm going to get you saved. He says, I'm coming to your whole house. Salvation has come to your house. All because, see, look. I know people didn't like you, and really, what you were doing—that was dodgy. But see, I made a promise to your great, 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 great grandfather Abraham, and his covenant with me, and the generosity that he lived with. Well, that's getting you now. So when you give, don't be like, "Oh, where's my, where's my stuff? Where's my harvest?" Your great, 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 great grandchildren. Well, thank you, because you knew the pattern. You knew the pattern. Ezekiel 44.30, the best of all first fruits of any kind and every sacrifice of any kind from all your sacrifices shall be the priest. Also, you shall give to the priest the first of your ground meal to cause a blessing to rest on your house. You're not just giving it to your spiritual authority or spiritual father. And in this context, it would be, it would be Pastor Paul and his family. But this isn't about like trying to get that. Trust me, it's not about trying to get 2.5%. It's about learning a pattern for your life. It's about getting a pattern for your life. Because you want a blessing to rest on your house. Nehemiah 12, 44. At the same time, some were appointed over the rooms of the storehouse for the offerings, the firstfruits, and the tithes. All of them were plural. There were so many. Nehemiah 10, 35 to 36. And we made ordinances to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of the trees year by year. Uh, you guys get it. Have you got enough scripture in you yet? Proverbs 3, 9 to 10. Honor the Lord with your possessions. Smartest person in And the richest person that ever lived wrote this one, and with the first fruits of all your increase, for all your increase. Deuteronomy, and this shall be the priest's due from the people: the first fruits of your grain and your new wine. Romans, no way, it's New Testament. New Testament. For if the first fruit is holy. The lump is holy, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. If they didn't believe in... And we've got to realize that tithing superseded Mosaic law. Because Abraham gave to Melchizedek. So it's not like, oh my gosh, where is it? No, it's outside of that. Because the pattern of generosity wasn't just about law. I hope you catch that. New Testament... If the first fruit is holy, it means that they knew what first fruits was. They want to stop giving it. Or the writer of Romans could have said, For when they gave the first fruit, it represented everything that was holy. It doesn't say that. For if means present tense. Means we still practice this. Luke 23, 46. And when Jesus had cried out in, with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Now, what was it about the wave offering that made it different? It was, this was a first fruits offering. What was it that made it different? That the, the, the person would take their increase, their very best. Jesus was God's best. Take his best. And they would wave it in the air and lift it high and then place it in the hands of their spiritual authority. Jesus was lifted high on the cross. And then what does he say? Into your hands I commit my spirit. The only reason we have access to the Holy Spirit is because Jesus was the first fruits. Even Jesus didn't just give first fruits, he enacted first fruits. And you go, really? I need more scripture. Okay. 1 Corinthians 15, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits. That we got the day of Pentecost because Jesus was lifted high and he said to his spiritual authority, his spiritual father, Take my best take my best we have a comforter a counselor someone who will never leave us or forsake us because jesus said what's true of the first is true of the rest and we are his rest he was our first fruits he was our first fruits offering he gave up his life. It wasn't just, he didn't have to. He, he chose to lay down. No one took his life. Jesus says that. No one can take my life. I lay it down. I laid it down as my first fruits. Because if I don't, the rest, 2,000 years later, sitting here in one church, the rest will not be able to access the harvest I have for them in my spirit. So he was lifted high and he placed his spirit in the hands of his spiritual authority. Who's encouraged this morning? Okay. My observation is your taruma or first fruits is the activation of your impartation. Your impartation is not activated by the fire tunnel, but by becoming a finance funnel. I was like, I need another prayer. No, you don't. I need another. No, you don't. To live in this? No, no you don't. You need to know how to structure your finance. Because where your treasure is, your heart will be also. I'm tired of seeing spiritual people live broke. With good hearts, but they have no margin. And realize it's a percentage, not a figure. So we can start now. You and $100 a week, you can start now. It's $2.50. Like, like, we can always start now. Is a first century teaching of the apostles. It's called the Didache, which is like us going to the local Christian bookstore. So we have Kurong in Brisbane. Do you have Kurong here? All right. So if you went to Kurong and you bought a commentary on the Bible, it's the same thing. This is what the apostles said about your first fruits and your taruma. If you have a pastor or a teacher willing to live among you and teach you the word, then he's worthy of your taruma. If you do not have a pastor or teacher willing to live among you and teach you the word, then give your taruma to the poor. Whatever you do, do not eat it. Because whatever is true of the first will be true of the rest. And if you consume it, the rest of it will be consumed. But if you multiply it, the rest of it will be multiplied. If you seed it, it'll multiply. I get goosebumps just talking about it. Do you know how many times I've done this session? And yet every time I do it, I feel freedom coming into somebody's life. I never get sick of it. Because when you leave and you show your world, what the pattern of God's generosity look like, things change and get transformed because greed is a Luciferian spirit and generosity is God's image being placed all over the world. Here's some practical applications. Here's number one, eliminate debt. Don't get in more debt to Teruma, Right, That's not the point. But start slowly. And there's a great practical book called The Barefoot Investor. Has anyone ever seen that book? It's a bestseller, right? Do you know that if you take some of his ideologies and his thinking, it's exactly this. He just made it more corporate. But he talks about having different accounts and saving this and giving this and a splurge account. He's taking the same models of ancient wisdom and just making it more usable now and relevant now. But this was God's pattern from the beginning. Activate your first fruit as soon as possible. If you can go home this week and say, you know what? I'm going to find my spiritual father. And for some of you, for quite a few of you, that would be Pastor Paul. For others, it might not be. My spiritual father is not the senior pastor of my church. He's the man that raised me in ministry. He's the man that gives me, gave me opportunity. He's, he's that guy. I, I honor him and love him, so I give him my first fruits every week, every fortnight, every month. But I also know that Pastor Paul's done that for other people. And he didn't ask me to talk about it like this, but all I know is that it's not about what he does with it. It's the fact that you're giving it. The fact that you're going to be able to say, what's your bank account? I'm going to send it through. Whatever you do, do not eat it. And even if you don't want to give it to Pastor Paul, go give it to the poor. Whatever you do, do not eat it. Because what's true of the first is true of the rest. And number three, start incrementally with tithing. Let me tell you a couple of testimonies because of this particular teaching. We're doing all right for time. I'm going to finish in two, three minutes. There was a lady that had waited for 10 years for child support to come in when she started the this pattern not formula pattern she she leaned into an ecosystem of God's generosity and in 3 months she got 10 years worth of child support i have seen just as many miracles financially through this teaching, as I have physically, with people being healed of arthritis and, and, and ligament pain and blood issues and all that, I've seen just as many physical, because they're, they're the miracles we sometimes look for. Yet we need to honor the financial miracles that you get in your career, the promotions you get, the fact that... So there's this other young adult that didn't believe any of me, and I challenged him. I said, if you do this for three months and it doesn't work, I will pay you back your first fruits for three months. And he went, whatever, dude. He goes, I'll do it then. I said, sweet. And plus, it's only 2.5%. So. He comes running to me in one month. One month. And he's a real cynical dude, real thinker. He's like, dude, I don't know what to do. I'm like, what, you want, you're giving up now? He's like, no, my bank account figure hasn't changed in a month. I'm like, what do you mean it hasn't changed in a month? He's like, I keep withdrawing money and it doesn't change. I'm like, see, that's blowing my mind, because that didn't happen for me. I'm looking at some of the miracles that are happening going, I didn't get that when I started this. No, but you want to know why? Because God wants to blow your mind when it comes to generosity. And if we get into his ecosystem, he will do something that for you, in your context, will change how you see money. Because God doesn't want your money. He wants to give you his He wants to bring his salt bag to your life so we don't live as hoarders and afraid of tomorrow. So God doesn't want your money. He wants to give you his. Live on the circle and not on the square. I am looking forward to seeing you in the future and you coming up and telling me That I activated. If only even 20 people start this tomorrow, you will see a revolution and a revelation in your life that you have tried, prayed, interceded for forever. Because why? Because where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And it was at this men's conference, and I can say this because Pastor Paul was there. I haven't seen so many grown men cry after teaching them how not to be slave to their paycheck. You want to lead your family well? Don't be slave to a paycheck. You want to, you want to increase in your career? Be generous to your boss. You want to live in the ecosystem? Be in the image of God by living with margin and giving in the pattern that he has designed us for. You all good? All right, come on, stand up to your feet. Let me pray for you. Like I said, you can order the, all three parts at the end um, at, for, as a digital order, and you will get my notes from all three sessions, and you get an Excel calculator that calculates, and whether you work part-time, full-time, casual, you might work a mix of both. You can put any of the figures in where it's highlighted yellow, and it'll work out your monthly giving. A financial planner did it for me. I'm not that smart. They worked it out for you so that you can see what life really looks like. I'll just quickly go through a whole bunch of stuff just so you can see it. No, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, there. See, that's how you do the math. And what you realize is that God designed us to live well, prosperous, very prosperous. And if you order that, you'll get all of the things that can help you on this journey. Why don't you close your eyes and raise your hands? Just a symbol of, be it, surrender, saying, God, you might be generous already, but let's take it to another level. Let's go to another level. The man that had the withered hand had the miracle happen in the stretch not because he hid it away. Jesus called him out like it was a taboo subject, just like money is. And he said, stretch out your hands in the middle of people, a group of people where he wasn't even meant to be because he had a withered hand. He wasn't meant to be in the group, yet he was there because he was desperate to see Jesus. And Jesus technically humiliated in front of everybody by talking about something he didn't want to talk about. But the miracle happened in the stretch. And so, Father, right now, I just thank you for the miracle happening in people's lives right now. That today, this morning, we got to stretch their thinking. We got to stretch their revelation on money. We got to stretch the taboo subjects that we don't usually talk about. But, God, today, I pray for a blessing upon their descendants forever. I pray for a Psalm 105 blessing, that there would be a blessing for a thousand generations. All because we knew how to honor the pattern of finance the way you gave it to us. So, God, today, I pray that you would speak to people. Be their comforter, because they might need comfort after a teaching like this. They might need counseling, but God, be with them because the only reason we have even access to that Holy Spirit, to your Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, is because Jesus, you were our first fruits. So Jesus, we receive a fresh revelation of your thinking, your pattern, your ecosystem into everything we do financially. May we see prosperity, prosperity, and prosperity holistically, not just with money, but in every area of our life. May we live with generous, generous hearts in everything that we do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. God bless you all real good. Thank you.
1: Come on, be generous in your praise and your thanks to a man who's done his job well. Well done, Andrew. Thank you. Church family, just take your seats for a moment. We are going to take up a love offering. I don't know if that's in, the, uh, in any of those wavings and heavings and all that. If you've got a lot to give, that's a heave offering, isn't it? Okay, so you've got to heave it out. Yeah, okay, all right. Okay, so um, we're going to take up a love offering for Andrew. And um, if you don't give that uh, first fruits offering yet, if, that, if, if you've never done that and you, and you want to start, then start now and invest it into Andrew. Just let that be the start that you make. But if you are a regular giver and a faithful giver and you're doing all the stuff, then ask the Lord now what he wants you to sow into Andrew's ministry and we want to give him a blessing and send him on his way with uh, the seed to go and do this all over the world. There are Christians, there are Our church family in South Africa desperately need this, desperately need this. I know the churches that we're part of there, if they got a hold of this, we would see so much restoration in their lives. So uh, I pray that Andrew, God will take you where he wants you to to be and to go, and you'd be very effective there. I pray that the word that you've deposited here would would yield great fruit uh, in our lives. So, take a moment, let's pray and ask the Lord what we should be giving, and let's sow into His ministry. Heavenly Father, you are a God of miracles. That's like who you are. <laughs> You're not limited and tame and small, but you love a small start. You say, don't despise the day of small beginnings. So for some of our church family, they're going to make a small start today. I pray that you would be big in response, my God. And I pray that the miracles would start to happen with jobs, promotions, Debts being cancelled. Income increasing. Miracles to the degree of houses being paid off very quickly, very early. Cars being given. New job uh, career paths opened up because we couldn't afford to take the leap. Now we can't afford not to. God, I thank you. I thank you that there's miracles coming. So I pray that as faith is activated by works, That as we do this lord god and as we give today that you would multiply our seed in andrew's hands that he would take this message and christians all over the world would become prosperous and live in your abundance and be able to do more than they've ever dreamed possible take the the chains off slavery and poverty take it off our lives god i pray we don't want any part of that we don't want to buy into the devil's plan any longer God, as we do this, I pray that you would rebuke the devourer on our behalf. Today, you would literally slap him down, say, not another cent. You will not take another cent from my child. Let it be the truth over all of our lives, Lord God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Get your offering ready. Do you want to wave it around? or Do you want to heave it into the bag? What do you want to do with it? Your call. Send the bags around. If you are going electronic, Please don't wave the FPOS machine around. Just punch your number in, okay? Guys, wasn't that amazing? <laughs> um, let me say that again. Wasn't that amazing? <laughs> hey, Just incredible. Can you see what, I, what I'm trying to communicate to you? How big this is, this ministry on this man's life? How significant and important this is? I really hope you can. I hope that God activates this in somebody's life, in our church family, in more than one person, and they want to take this and run with it and teach it and uh, empower people wherever they go. Guys, I've got one quick testimony. Trish couldn't be with us this morning. Uh, She's at another church where they wanted her to come and they want to, what do they want to do? They want to honor her for her obedience to go into the realm of politics. And um, and that's awesome. And she was at another church a week before. And they want to do the same. She'll be at another church a week ahead. It's election time, as you know. Uh, so let's keep prayerful. But I just want to say this. They told us that the position that Trish is running for will take 10 years and that when the election comes around, it will cost a quarter of a million dollars. Um. That's what they said it would cost. So far, it's taken six years. And how many of you know what you give in the offering? I don't get 250000 bucks a year, I can assure you. And we are doing it miraculously. Every month, it's a miracle. Our, we're seeing Trisha's car going places when the petrol says she shouldn't. I mean, it's that kind of stuff. It's, it's very miraculous. She's be, I'm not going to say what I was going to say. Uh, we will be having a prayer meeting on Saturday the 17th of May, the night before the election. And we'll be praying that God will do something incredible in our country. We cannot afford a government that will not bring us closer to being the great south land of the Holy Spirit. We need a government that will help us to be the great south land of the Holy Spirit. That's our prayer. We need a government that is righteous. We're praying for that. Please pray into that over these three weeks before the election. And uh, the same God who is doing miracles in time and money in our family and our journey is doing that because we live the way Andrew has preached. May he be the same God for you in your time and your money and your talent as you live the way Andrew's preached today. God bless you. Love you lots.